Uh, this morning, I want to begin by creating a visual for you. And so, I, uh, I told this story a while back. It's been several years ago, but I didn't illustrate it in this way. And so, uh, I wanted to do that this morning. I am the middle of three boys, and so I grew up in a house where we had lots of cereal. Cereal is a great food to have uh, on hand when you have three growing boys in your home, right? It's cheap, uh, tastes good, you can eat it for any meal, right? So it's just a great, great food, and so uh, we oftentimes would eat cereal together. Now, I need to tell you about uh, my younger brother. My younger brother, he's two years younger than me. Um, he's a wonderful man. He's a great father and husband, successful lawyer, uh, loves the Lord. But bless his heart, when, when he was young, he was just a complete slob. And uh, he was just one of the loudest eaters I had ever met. You know, especially when it's so cereal, right, he would slurp his milk, you know what I'm talking about? He would chew with his mouth open. I mean, it was just completely and totally disgusting. So, one morning, I just kind of, I'd had enough of it. I was tired of it. So, I built a wall, okay? You know, I, I, I realized I was going to have to continue to hear him, but I didn't want to have to look at him anymore, right? And so... I built a wall, I hope this stays, I built a wall so that I wouldn't have to look at him anymore, and in the annals of Kaufman history, this day became known as the day when Barrett built the cereal box wall of hostility. So, I want that to serve as a visual for us, because today we're going to talk about walls. It took me uh, three sermons to make it through the first half of chapter two, and just because I'm, I'm choosing to only spend one sermon on the second half of chapter two, please, please don't think this diminishes in any way the importance of this section. Because most scholars believe it to be the key to the entire letter. In fact, one has called it the most significant text about the church in the entire New Testament. As I read through the second half of this chapter, what stands out to me the most are its parallels with the first half of the chapter. And I want to look at those three main parallels this morning. The first parallel is the description of our old condition. If you recall, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 describe our old condition in sin. Similarly, verses 11 and 12 describe our old condition in sin. In verses 1 through 3, Paul described our old condition in three ways. He said we're corpses, we're controlled, and we're children of wrath. 
In verses 11 and 12, Paul specifically describes the old condition of the Gentiles in these five ways. He said, you had no relationship with Christ. You were excluded from citizenship with God's people. You had no knowledge of God's great promises. You were without hope, and you were without God in the world. And so this description of our old condition combined with what we already have learned about our old condition from verses 1 through 3 create a devastating picture. You should not be be left wondering what it might be like to be without Jesus. Paul has given a significant amount of ink in these verses, to make sure that we know. Then he does something uh, that might seem a little bit odd to you in these verses. At the beginning of verse 11 and at the beginning of verse 12, Paul uses an imperative. And it's the only command that he gives in the entire three chapters of, uh, first three chapters of Ephesians. This is it. For three chapters, he will only use this imperative. Now, once we get over to chapters 4, 5, and 6, he'll use a lot of imperatives, a lot of commands. The second half of this letter is very practical. And so Paul will use a lot of imperatives and commands in the second half of this letter. But in the first half of this letter, he only uses this one imperative and he repeats it twice. You see it? It's the command to remember, to remember. Now, are the Ephesians a forgetful bunch? No, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, that's, that's not the reason to repeat this imperative twice. Now, I'm, I'm forgetful. Karen has to often tell me to remember to do this or remember to do that. But that's not what is going on here. This is a command that is unique to all of the New Testament. This is the only place in the New Testament that explicitly tells us to remember our old condition. Paul is commanding the Ephesians to remember your old condition in sin. Remember it. Do not forget it. Now, the Bible scholars in the audience might ask the question, how does this command square up with what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3? There he writes, one thing I do. This is the one thing I do. I forget what's behind and strain toward what is ahead. And at first glance, this command to remember our old condition in Ephesians 2 seems to be opposite of the one thing Paul says he does in Philippians chapter 3, forget what is behind, but in fact, they're not opposite at all. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is saying, I do not return to it. He's not saying I don't remember it. 
And there's a big difference. And in Ephesians 2, he's saying, remember it. But why remember it? Why drudge up bad memories of our old condition? One word. Distance. Distance. Paul wants us to always remember the distance. In verse 13, Paul writes, You who were once far away have been brought near. Never forget the distance. Never forget just how far away you were from God. Separated, excluded, alienated, hopeless, godless. When we remember the distance, then we have a greater appreciation for our nearness and will not take for granted our new position in Christ. I want to illustrate this uh, quickly for you this morning. Uh, there's no need to go into lots of details, but I've basically, my, you know, my wife's a runner. Um, I basically have run one race with her in our marriage. All right, I'm not a runner. But one year, I think it was for her 30th birthday, I believe. It's, it's a while back. Um, I decided for, as a gift that I would run this race with her. It's a 10K. It's the longest race I've ever run. Um, and so I really wanted to run it with her. I didn't want her to run with me, right? I didn't want her to slow down. You know, I wanted to run at her pace and to enjoy that race with her. It's my gift to her. So I had to train. I went into some serious training uh, to be able to run that race with her. And I was about a month into my training. I'd made it through the soreness stage. I was actually seeing some improvement. I was actually getting up in the morning and enjoying running a little bit. And as I was out that morning training, I passed by my neighbor who was in a bathrobe, holding a cup of coffee, walking in and of his driveway to get the newspaper. And I remember thinking to myself, what a lazy bum. Now, what happened? Here's what happened. I had forgotten that just a month earlier, I was drinking my coffee, walking to the end of the driveway to get the newspaper. Now, I wasn't in a bathrobe, but in one month's time, I had already forgotten my old condition. And let my pride cause me to think that I was somehow better than my neighbor because of my new way of life. And so Paul says, do not forget the distance. Always remember it. So the first parallel between the first half of of this chapter and the second half is the description of our old condition. 
The second parallel is the contrast made with the word but. In verse 4, the old condition is contrasted with the phrase, but God. In verse 13, the old condition is contrasted with the phrase, but now. In both instances, a striking contrast is made. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. There's an old illustration that perhaps you've used. I have often used it uh, when doing uh, evangelistic Bible studies where you draw a cliff on one side of the paper and then another cliff on the other side of the paper, and then there's this great chasm formed in between the two cliffs by, by sin, and you're on one side and God's on the other side, and the only way we can get from the one side to the other is if the distance is spanned by the cross. So the cross becomes a bridge spanning the great distance between us and God, caused by sin. And that familiar illustration illustrates this verse. You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now, in verses 14 through 18... What Paul does there is he expands upon verse 13. And first, let me say this about verses 14 through 18. Peace dominates this text. It's in the the context of peace that these verses are to be understood. In these verses, Paul tells us that peace is who Jesus is. Verse 14, he says, he himself is our peace. It's only in the person of Jesus where we're going to find peace. It's who he is. Peace is what Jesus does. Verse 15. He he makes peace. So not only is he peace in himself, but he makes peace. It's what he does. He's in the peacemaking business. And then in verse 17, peace is what Jesus proclaims. It's his message. The gospel is a message of peace. He preaches peace. And so I want to spend just a few moments looking a little closer at verses 14 through 18 and asking this question of the test, how did Jesus make peace through the cross? Paul answers that question here, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, gospel-centered answer. But how specifically did Jesus make peace? Through the cross. Well, in these verses, Paul describes three actions that were accomplished through the cross. Through the cross, Jesus destroyed, Jesus created, and Jesus reconciled, thus making peace. All three actions are part of the peacemaking process, 
and all three are equally important to the process. And I want to look at each one this morning. First, in verse 14, he destroyed old hostility. That's the first action. He destroyed old hostility. In the first century, there was plenty of old hostility between Jews and Gentiles. William Barclay, commentator, put it this way, the Jew had immense contempt for the Gentile. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of the Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such a contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. Even the Jewish temple reflected this absolute barrier between two people groups, literally at the temple with a wall. The famous Jewish historian Josephus, in his work called Wars of the Jews, wrote this about the temple wall. He wrote that there is a partition made of stone all around the temple whose height was three cubits. Its construction was very elegant. Upon it stood pillars at equal distance from one another. On each pillar there was a sign declaring the law of purity. Some in Greek letters, some in Roman letters. Now, archaeologists have discovered two of these purity notices that were on these pillars. And they read, no foreigner may enter within this barrier around the temple. Anyone who is caught will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So not only was there a racial and a social barrier between these two people groups, But there was a literal barrier separating them from one another at the temple. Paul tells us through the cross that Jesus destroyed this old hostility. This dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus destroyed it at the cross. Second. In verse 15, he created new humanity. So he destroyed old hostility. And the second thing he did on the cross was he created new humanity. His purpose was to create in himself, Paul tells us, one new man out of the two. So not only did he destroy something old, but he created something new. Paul uses creation language here, and I want to make sure that you see the connection between this verse and verse 10. So God's masterpiece of verse 10 is not just you together with Christ, but it's us together with Christ. And in this context of Ephesians, what Paul tells us in verse 15 is that it's the Jew and Gentile together with Christ. That is his masterpiece.
Jew and Gentile, with Christ. What a masterpiece. Who could ever dream of such a masterpiece being accomplished? But that's what happened at the cross. You see, the the cross also serves as a bridge for two to become one. So through the cross, Jesus not only destroyed the old hostility that kept the two apart, but through the cross, he also created a new humanity in order to bring the two together. And just like the illustration I shared earlier, the cross is a bridge between the two. The cross is a bridge between man and God. The cross also serves as a bridge between these two people groups. So the cross destroys walls and the cross builds bridges. Walls are built for hostility. Bridges are built for hospitality. And on the cross, Jesus did both. He tore down walls of hostility, and he built bridges of hospitality. So, first, he destroyed old hostility. Second, he created new humanity. And then the third is in verse 16. He reconciled through humility. He reconciled through humility. We learn at the cross. We learn that the only way to end hostility is through humility. That's it. It's the blueprint. Do you know the the main stated reason for divorce in our country? Irreconcilable differences. Differences between two parties that they determine cannot be reconciled. Look, if there was ever a relationship that could have claimed irreconcilable differences, it was the relationship between God and humanity. The combination of the rebellion of man toward God and the wrath of God toward our sin combined to form what should have been irreconcilable differences. But God, who's rich in mercy, but now in Christ Jesus, You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. These differences have been reconciled only by the blood of Christ. Through the humble sacrifice of our Savior. And through the cross, God has shown us the way to end hostility through humility.
Paul would write in Philippians chapter 2, perhaps his most well-known writing, that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Through the cross, Jesus made peace. He destroyed old hostility. He created new humanity. And he reconciled through humility. Are we thankful for the cross? So, as people of the cross, those of us who are crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in us, I think we too must be people who make peace in the same way. We must follow the same blueprint on how to make peace. First, I think we need to be in the business of destroying old hostility. Because there are many walls that have been built between individuals in between people groups. There are walls between races. There are walls between nations, between religions, between genders, between social classes, between economic classes, between denominations, between communities, between families, between siblings, between marriages. And many times, these walls have not even been built by us. You know, I don't really care who built them. The point is, the walls need to come down. From every wall that's been built to every wall that will be built, it doesn't matter how big, how small, it doesn't matter if it's the Berlin Wall, it doesn't matter if it's a cereal box wall. People of the cross are to be in the business of taking down walls. At the cross, through the cross, Jesus destroyed old hostility. Second, We need to be in the business of creating new humanity. There are bridges to be built between individuals and people groups. You know, the thing I love, uh, the thing I love most about the church is that it brings people together 
who most likely would not even hang out if not for their relationship with Jesus Christ. You're the main reason that I work at Trader Joe's. Because I want to build a bridge. Being a crew member there has given me the opportunity to be good friends with people I would not be friends with otherwise. I'm, I'm too old and I'm just not cool enough. But they're my friends and they call me their friend. We have to be about building bridges, creating opportunities for two individuals or people groups to come together as one new humanity in Christ. And then thirdly, we're to reconcile through humility. That's the only way it's possible. It's the only way reconciliation will ever happen. It has to be through humility. We must interact with others from the foot of the cross. All differences can be reconciled at the foot of the cross because the ground at the cross is level. At the foot of the cross, no one has higher value than anyone else. And this is exactly why we must remember our old condition. You see, when I remember just how significant the distance was between God and me, then I realized just how insignificant the distance is between you and me. I'm going to conclude uh, today with the third parallel. I mentioned there's three parallels between the first um, half of the chapter and the second half. Uh, and this, this last parallel is the use of three with words. W-I-T-H, with words. You remember in the first half, Paul made up three with words to describe the act of salvation. God made us alive together with Christ. God raised us up together with Christ. God seated us together with Christ in the heavenly realms. Well, in the second half of the chapter, Paul again uses three with words, this time to describe the results of our salvation. The first is in verse 19. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but now fellow citizens together with God's people. Verse 20, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but now in him the whole building is joined together with and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 21, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but now in him you too are being built together with to, to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. But now. 
you are fellow citizens together with. But now you are joined together with. But now you are being built together with. Paul concludes this chapter with the focus not just on you being joined together with Christ because of the cross, but on you being joined together with another person through the cross. And in this instance, Jews and Gentiles. Who is it in your context? You know, fortunately, my younger brother and I, we didn't allow this cereal box wall of hostility to remain between us. We tore that wall down box by box. What about you? Are there relationships in your life with walls that need to come down? Are there bridges to be built into the lives of people where one time there was a wall? We are ministers of reconciliation. And reconciliation can only happen through the cross of humble sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this text. We're so thankful for this letter. We're just thankful for the message. And I I pray that it's just real practical for someone today. I pray that they have heard today through your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit that on the cross, not only were they reconciled with God, but old hostility was abolished. Hostility between people groups, hostility between individuals, hostility between co-workers, hostility between friends, between spouses, between siblings, that also through the cross, new humanity was created, a humanity that comes together humbly at the foot of the cross through Christ. And so, Father, my prayer is just that you put on the hearts of every person here People of the cross who are in attendance today, one person, one person. If the walls that were built between Jews and Gentiles can come down, if one new humanity can be created out of Jews and Gentiles, oh, then what can the power of the blood of Jesus Christ do in our lives? And my prayer is through the Holy Spirit that you'll work, that you'll bring down walls, that you'll build bridges.
and that people will be reconciled to one another and to God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.